only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Thing comes out of the book of Romans, chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 16. If you're using the blue pew Bibles, you can find. Romans chapter 4, verse 9 through 16 on page 941. Page 941. Beginning in verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, There is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus Amen. Paul commands us to let the word of Christ richly dwell within us. Let us pray to that end. O Lord, you have given us such a precious word, a word by which we live in this world, a word by which we live in fellowship with you and with one another. A word that encourages us and builds us up in every area of our lives. A word that prepares us to face you one day, O Lord. A word that blesses us on into eternity. A word that will never fail. Heaven and earth will fail. And all flesh withers like the grass. But the word of our God abides forever. Lord, thank you that we can come to that word. Bless us as we seek to understand it. Bless us, Lord, that we would 
believe it and live it out joyously in our lives. For your namesake, amen. You know, if you're unfamiliar with this passage, maybe kind of new to the Bible, it has to be kind of bewildering, you know, and a little foreign to hear this constant talk about circumcision, uncircumcision, are you in or not, and who's circumcised, who's not circumcised, when he was believed he was uncircumcised, then he was circumcised, and, you know, we don't want to hear too much about that word anyway, um, but now to hear it in this way, it just seems so foreign to us. How does this apply to my life? Now, perhaps right at the outset, I could underscore one thing that may interest you, and that is the little phrase that he would be heir of the world. It'd be like an uncle that has just passed away. It's a couple of weeks afterwards. And suddenly you get a phone call and somebody says, by the way, nobody knew this, but your uncle was a multi-billionaire. You're like, my uncle, the one that had no children? Yes, your uncle that had no children. And you're requested to come to the attorney's office. You know, you can just imagine, you know, you've become heir of the world. All of a sudden, it would seem that you're one of two uh, nephews that show up to get your share uh, of the multi-billion dollars. And this should interest you and me because it says that Abraham was heir of the world. And something about this passage teaches us that you and I can be heir of the world, which would make an inheritance, like I just mentioned, peanuts, that we would be heirs of the whole earth. That's the promise It was the promise made to Abraham. It was the promise that he believed. And Paul is now setting that before us as the paradigm, as the the example of how faith works. How you even come to this God. How you have a relationship with this God. And so in this passage, there are two uh, basic uh, ideas. First, that Abraham was accepted by faith without circumcision, or he was accepted by faith while uncircumcised. That's verses 9 through 12. And then we'll look at verses 13 through 16. Abraham is an heir by faith apart from the law or without the law. So he's declared righteous or accepted by God apart from circumcision. And he's made an heir of the world apart from the law. That's what Paul is trying to drive home here. And he's especially got in mind his Jewish brothers. But this helps us also because these Jewish people were in many respects like us, the religious people, that tend to think that because we're inside these four walls, because we're a part of the outward body of Christ... That just by that fact, physically, then we're probably going to be okay one day. And that was a tragic view of the Jews of Paul's day. Now, the Jews had this view of Abraham. In one sense, Paul just moved a line a little bit, okay? It was this, that Abraham, they did view Abraham as the classic proselyte. A proselyte was a pagan who was converted 
and took on circumcision, became a complete Jew. Okay, And they, they felt like Abraham was the first one because Abraham was an idolater. And when you read the Jewish writings, it talks about Abraham being the first human being who ever began to think that it's just one God, not many gods. He was the first human being that left paganism and began to worship the one God. So he was the beginning of the people of God. But he's like a proselyte, like any pagan who leaves their paganism and begins to worship the one God and take circumcision. So, so Abraham did. And this, he believed in chapter 15. His faith was counted as righteousness. Then in chapter 17 of Genesis, he circumcised. And later in chapter 22, he is willing to offer up Isaac. But the way the Jews looked at it is this. Abraham, by turning from his paganism, beginning to believe God, taking on circumcision, and then proving his obedience, finally entered into the sphere of righteousness. He, he Through all of these things, he finally entered into God's acceptability, okay, God's favor through all of these actions. Beginning with faith and adding all of these things, he entered in and became the righteous one, the first righteous one. What does Paul say here? He goes back to the event itself and he's talking about this blessing. Did this blessing come to him when he was circumcised or uncircumcised? And the blessing he's talking about is what he had just mentioned, uh, David in Psalm 32 discussing that those are blessed whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And of course, he had talked about that quote to join it with this statement of Abraham. Abraham was counted as righteous, and Paul says it's the same thing David talked about. You can be forgiven of your sins. Your sins are covered. Your sins are not counted against you. So you see, this is the same thing as Abraham. All of his sins were forgiven. He was an ungodly man, and his sins were forgiven. He was an ungodly man, and his, man and his sins were covered. He was an ungodly man, and his sins were not put to his account. He just said that. Now he says... Let me ask you, fellow Jew, when did that happen to him? And it's pretty easy because this happened to him in chapter 15 of Genesis. Only later was he circumcised. Now, why is this so important? Because the Jews did not. It was very hard even for the Christians to believe that you could know God apart from circumcision. It was very difficult for them to get that around their heads. For instance, here's a, here's a quote about circumcision from Jubilees. Everyone that is born, the flesh of whose foreskin is not circumcised on the eighth day, belongs not to the children of the covenant which the Lord made with Abraham, but to the children of destruction, period. Okay? Nor is there moreover any sign on him that he is the Lord's, but he is destined to be destroyed and slain from the earth and to be rooted out of the earth, for he has broken the covenant of the Lord our God. That's it if you're not, if you're not circumcised. In fact, it's interesting. Even the proselyte 
the pagan who was brought into Judaism and became circumcised, he still could not say, Abraham, our father. Still is, you know, a little distanced. You're going to be in, you're part of the people of God, but you can't say, Abraham, our father, with us blue bloods, right? And you have to think about Peter himself. This is amazing. Well, first of all, uh, you remember that Peter was called by God to go and speak to Cornelius, who was an uncircumcised man. And it's that when he came back and told the Christians that the Holy Spirit had been poured out on them and they were uncircumcised, they couldn't believe it. It says, believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. This just floored them. And what's interesting, when he came back to report it, this is, this is how he's greeted. When Peter went up to Jerusalem and the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. I mean, the Holy Spirit had already been poured out and said, we heard what you did. You went and ate with those Gentiles. That was among Christians. And then later, this same Peter, who had had this experience, had to come back and report to them, the Holy Spirit was poured out on Gentiles. In Antioch, he had been fellowshipping with the Gentiles, eating at table, but when the circumcision, as they're called, the circumcised party came up from Jerusalem, Peter pulled away and wouldn't eat with the Gentiles because he felt the... And, and Paul says, if you do that, you are saying to them that by faith in Jesus Christ, you're not a part of the people of God. You're not under God's favor. You're not accepted by God. And that you've got to be circumcised. And you see, that's all behind Paul in synagogue after synagogue, preaching the gospel and coming to this point and saying, tell me, and I don't know how he said it, but this is how I would say it. <laughs> when was Abraham circumcised? You know how a Baptist minister would say it, you know. When was Abraham circumcised? I'll spare you. Uh, he was circumcised by faith. Faith apart, I mean, how was he, uh, when did he, was he declared righteous? When was he accepted by God? When did he enter into fellowship with God? When did he become a part of the people of God? In Genesis 15, when he believed. And he makes clear in his discussion of that earlier in the chapter that Abraham came as an ungodly man and was justified. And that's the pattern. And he's saying to the gent, to the Jews, you have to come like Abraham came. You have to be like Abraham and, and realize that you had the same need as Abraham. You have the same desperate sinfulness of Abraham. You see, the sign of circumcision, he, he goes on to say here, that he was justified before he was circumcised. And then in verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. 
Now you see, the sign of circumcision throughout Israel had this meaning of being justified, declared righteous while uncircumcised. Declared righteous by faith. That sign should have announced and did announce to every single member of the Jewish uh, household, we could say, every Jewish member uh, of, of those people, that it is by faith, by faith, by faith. This sign is the sign of Abraham's faith. You have to be justified by faith. You are ungodly like Abraham. You must depend completely on the mercy of God as Abraham did. And so circumcision, we've already seen how it's a sign of also our need for renewal. Because we're commanded, be circumcised of heart. Not only in your flesh, but of your heart. Deuteronomy 10, 16 very graphic. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. The indicator of circumcision etched in the flesh of the Israelites is that of the need for righteousness and the need for transformation. The need to be forgiven and the need to be transformed. And so... It's not, circumcision itself doesn't really have any meaning if it's not attached to faith and a new heart. Now, let me just say as a kind of aside that realizing this was one of the reasons I became a Presbyterian. Because I was pretty close to becoming a Baptist because I was, in terms of baptism, that you only should baptize adults. When I began to understand what's being said here and what's said in other places, because a lot of Baptist theology says the reason that the sign was given to infants was it was just a physical sign that you belong to physical Israel. Now we have a spiritual sign, a sign that points to faith in Christ, a sign that points to a new heart. You can't give that to an infant because you don't know if they have a new heart. And you certainly don't know that they believe, though they can't even believe. You can't give that sign to an infant. And that was very persuasive for, to me for a while until I began to understand the nature of circumcision. That it was a sign of Abraham's faith and that sign of his faith was given to infants. It was a sign of the renewal of the heart. And that sign of the renewal of the heart was given to infants. You see, it, it becomes a call in, that, uh, in the use of it in that way. A call and a command. In fact, it's a description along with the sacrifices as well. You need the grace of God. You need the grace of God to be forgiven. You need the grace of God to have your heart changed. Why the sacrifices, just imagine what they said every day. Every day, morning, evening, morning, evening, morning, evening, morning, evening, an animal died, pointed to wrath, you see. Pointed to wrath and the need for forgiveness, the need for atonement. We'll talk about that a bit more here in a minute. But And so... Circumcision proclaims helpless dependence for righteousness and transformation. And of course, baptism does the same. We put water, and what are the two things that 
the parent says or, or, or answers this question. Do you see your child's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Same two things. You see your need along with Abraham with circumcision of forgiveness and righteousness. And it was had by, by faith for Abraham and the sign of renewal of the heart. Well, here's Paul saying these things so that, he says, the purpose in verse 11, so that he would be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. Are we going to require the Gentiles to be circumcised? No, because now he is the father of all who believe. If they have the same faith of Abraham, then they're his children. So that, as he says, righteousness will be counted to them as well. And, and that's the free invitation to any one of you. Any one of you. As we said last week, Abraham, the noble, glorious father of all of the people of God, this man who did this noble thing of sacrificing Isaac, how did he come before God? Ungodly, idol worshiper, passions everywhere but God, and God brought him to himself, and God declared him righteous. Only by faith. It's the only way any of us come to God. You don't come to God by saying, okay, I'm going to start reading my Bible. That's not wrong to start reading your Bible, okay. But if you think of it this way, I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm just going to start going to church and I'm not going to miss and I'm going to get involved in church and I'm going to start doing the things in church. And after a while thinking, you know, my life's really different now. I used to not go to church. I go to church now. I used not to read my Bible. I read my Bible now. I, I, I used not to go to Sunday school. I even added Sunday school. Some people don't go to Sunday school, but I do. I go to Sunday school. I became a part of a small group. I mean, I'm in the fellowship. I cook for stuff at the church. I do these things. And you think of all those people that don't do any of those things. And you can begin to think, I must be acceptable to God. But never in any of that has there been in your heart the realization, Lord, I by nature have despised you. I have not made you the treasure of my life. I've not made you the, the, the one that I depend on for everything. I've not seen how sinful I've been before you. I, I, Lord, I trust you. Cleanse me. Christ alone is my hope. It's that kind of closing with God, realizing our desperate need of His grace and that we cannot be accepted by Him except through His mercy in Christ. But you see, what's so glorious about that is, as, it, as I've told you before, my life growing up and how I would say the Lord's Prayer every night just to ensure that if I happened to die that night, it would be a little closer, a little more likely to make it, you know. You just see that counting with God. Well, you really lived bad all day, but you did say the Lord's Prayer before you went to sleep. You know, it's like, what was I thinking, you know? But it really can be that silly for us, you know, tallying up, weighing this versus that rather than realizing in one gracious act, as I come to him and trust him, acknowledging my sin, he declares me in his favor. For no reason in me, 
No reason. I simply depend upon its sheer grace. Well, Paul says here, the reason he was justified that way is so that everybody can be justified that way. And he even makes the point in verse 12, he's also the father of circumcised, but not if they're merely circumcised. Right? If they walk in the footsteps that our father Abraham had while he was circumcised. In other words, you have to become like Abraham when he was uncircumcised. You know, the uncircumcised believing Abraham is the pattern for the circumcised. It's the pattern for all the Jews. You have to believe, you have to rest as Abraham believed and rested, or you're not a child of his. And that's what he said earlier in chapter 2, you recall. No one is a Jew who's merely one outwardly. Circumcision is not outward and physical. A Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. Not by the letter, not by the outward listening to the Word, not by the outward just trying to obey God's Word on your own. His praise is not from man, but from God. So Paul says, in one sense, every Jew must become like the Gentiles, helplessly believing in the grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to be a child of Abraham. It's ironic, isn't it? If you want to be the true circumcision, you've got to become like Abraham when he was a Gentile and believe and be justified. That's why uh, some of you are familiar with this, but... Uh, as you read through uh, the Bible, Paul will say things like this, Ephesians 2.11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. You get the feel? Here's a Jew saying... The Jews call you the uncircumcision. You're called the uncircumcision. And they call themselves the circumcision, but it's just that which is made with hands. It's not the real thing. And then in Philippians, he gets pretty rough. And he's talking about his own fellow Jews. He's talking about what he was himself when he didn't believe in Christ. He said, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who... Mutilate the flesh. Mutilate the flesh. Circumcision is the Greek word peritome. You know tome from appendectomy. Tonsillectomy. Okay, that tom is the cutting part. Okay? (laughs) So, catatome, mutilation of the flesh, or peritome is circumcision. He says, they're not the peritome, they're the katatome. That's the wordplay. Yeah, they cut it. They cut the flesh, but it's just a mutilation because there's no faith in Jesus Christ. There's no meaning to it anymore. They've become the uncircumcision. Paul says, I call them the mutilation because they have rejected Messiah himself. And true circumcision is those who trust in Christ after the pattern of Abraham trusting in God. Well, he goes on then. 
to talk about Abraham becoming an heir by faith apart from the law. An heir by faith without the law. And this is where he has that phrase. The promise to Abraham, which came in Genesis 15, to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So the promise to Abraham, it, it's a bit odd when you first look at it to, that he was an heir of the world because God really promised him the land of Canaan. But he also promised him that all the nations would be blessed through him. First, that he would be a father of nations, and then that all families of the earth would be blessed through him. So even in Jewish theology, they began to talk about if, if he brings blessing to all the earth, and the earth then is spread with you know, believers in God, then the whole earth must be the inheritance. And you know, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. So this promise of the land, we learn that the promise of Canaan and the ownership of Canaan is simply a picture of God's people ultimately in the earth when the wicked will be removed, all that opposes God and all sinfulness in our own hearts removed and we will dwell in the earth forever and ever, a renewed earth as Paul later talks about in Romans 8. So we are destined to live on a perfected earth. You might say a resurrected earth to go along with our resurrected bodies in that final day. So that's what he's talking about here. The promise was going to be through Abraham and through that promise of Abraham and what he would accomplish through his seed, the whole earth would be finally redeemed. How did that come to him? Did it come to him after he was circumcised? Did it come to him? In fact, he was regarded as the first one to begin to obey the law in Jewish thinking. He began, at least in basic ways, to fulfill and obey the law. And they regarded that as the reason that he received the promise. And here again, Paul is saying, you can't associate the law with anything that happened in Genesis 15. It's simply by faith. It's by faith that we're transformed. It's by faith that we receive the earth. We deserve none of it. None of it. And that's why he says in verse 14, if it's those adherents of the law who to be heirs, faith is known, the promise is void. Then even Abraham himself doesn't get the promise because he wasn't an inherent of the law. He didn't have the law at that point. He didn't follow the strictions of the law. He simply believed. He believed in the promise. And then he adds this, the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. And so he points out that not only is obeying the law no possibility of receiving the promise, but in fact, the law has an opposite effect. The law and the commandments of the law have an opposite effect. Now, it doesn't mean that this is the only function of the law, but this was a strong function of the law, so that those under the law would have a consciousness of their transgressions and that they would 
have the same unconditional dependence and reliance on God that the Gentiles would if they came to faith. And so the law didn't mark the Jew from the Gentile so that you're going to be judged and not us, but rather it put the Jew along with the Gentile as being judged by the law. That was the true nature of the law, that they need the grace of God. The law tells them that at every point. You need the grace of God, as we've just talked about. And so the law showed more clearly that it's not just that we're doing things wrong, but we are disobeying this God that made us. The law makes it clear. You are transgressing the very God that made you. And so rather than just having pride in possession of the law, we should have a greater consciousness of our transgression of the law and depend upon grace. And we should depend upon grace no differently than Abraham depended upon grace. So to hide behind the law, in fact, basically you could say they had taken faith out of their response to God It had just drained away. All that was left was an outer shell of Sabbath-keeping, circumcision, food laws, um, and, and also whatever moral things they would attach to that. Circumcision was the biggie. But all of these things and, and, and keeping the sacrifices and attending to Torah uh, at the synagogue, all of these things became just a shell with no faith, no dependence, no understanding of God's mercy. And they looked at those things as like an ark that would save them in that last day. And that's why when Christ came along and God said, here's your ark, here's the only hope for salvation in that final day, they said, no. We've got our ark. We do this and this and this and this and this. And they wrap the law around them as though it was their safety. When in fact that law was even pointing them to Christ. Pointing them to their need of a, of a savior. Pointing them to their need of atonement and renewal. And so he says, verse 16, as a final statement. That's why it depends on faith in order the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to those in the law, but those outside the law. And when he mentions grace, you go back up to verse 4 and he says, To the one who works, his wages are not counted as grace, as a gift, but as something that is owed them. But the one who does not work, who does operate by grace, he trusts in him who justifies the ungodly. And so I want to leave you with that question. Have you come to God as the one who justifies the ungodly? That can be one of the sweetest things you've ever heard because you're aware of your sinfulness. And when you start thinking about, will God accept me? You hear that and you say, wait a minute. It says that he will declare I'm in his favor, even though I come to him initially as one ungodly, wicked. It's the word for wickedness. But you can be offended by it. You can be offended because you'd like to think that you could bring something to the table that would earn 
your acceptance. You'd like to think that you're not just worth nothing in terms of acceptance with God. Surely you can bring some things. And also we like to think I'm doing better than somebody else. I like to think I've earned more than he or she has. But to be told you can bring nothing to the table, not one single particle that will gain you favor. You simply come to the one who declares righteous, who declares that they're in his favor, but they have to acknowledge they're the ungodly ones. They're the wicked ones. And he declares you righteous. It's one of the most freeing things. It's the most freeing thing I've ever experienced in my life. That I no longer have to wonder, how good am I doing? Am I, have I done enough today? Have I done enough this week, this year, this month? To either earn God's favor or stay in His favor. But no, it never depends on my righteousness. It depends on God's declaration that I'm His. God's declaration that I'm in His favor. His association with me, with Christ, so that I'm hidden in the very standing that Jesus Himself has. Have you believed in that way? Have you become a child of Abraham? Let us pray. Lord, may we be like Abraham, turning from whatever we worshipped, whatever we have held as most dear ahead of you, whatever we have taken as our God, as, as our idol, as the main thing in our life that we're looking to, to give us life, to give us meaning. Something else we've looked to in order to salve our guilt, to make us feel clean. Oh Lord, may we turn from every other trust, every other endeavor to find life and meaning in this world and return to the God who made us. And oh Lord, may we have grace from you to admit our sinfulness to you and to not bring anything, anything at all to commend us to you, but be like the tax gatherer who said, Oh God, have mercy on me, the sinner. May that be our cry. And Lord, may it be a cry of honesty and sincerity, but a cry of a beginning joy because we're coming to the God who will favor us. We're coming to the God who will take us and embrace us forever. We're coming to the God who will declare that now and forever we are righteous in His sight. We are among His people. We are heirs of the world. Not for anything we've done, because we have come helplessly depending upon you for forgiveness and transformation. Bless us, Lord, with that helpless dependence, that faith that was the faith of Abraham. Oh, justify the ungodly. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. 
please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?